I think it's, it's part of directing, right? You just have to be able to pivot and be prepared. I, I try to come as prepared as I can to set and then be completely ready to throw it out if something else comes along or the better idea comes, comes up. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, an abandoned girl finds herself falsely accused of murder in director Olivia Newman's Where the Crawdads Sing. Based on the best-selling novel, the film follows Kaya, a young girl who raised herself in the marshlands of North Carolina as she opens herself up to a new community. When the town attempts to prosecute her, Kaya must clear her name as the truth of what happened lies within the murky waters of the marsh. In addition to Where the Crawdads Sing, Ms. Newman's directorial filmography includes episodes of the series FBI, Chicago PD, and Sausalito. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Newman spoke with director Catherine Hardwick about filming Where the Crawdads Sing. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. So, hey, everybody. Thank you guys for coming out tonight and seeing this awesome film. And we wanted to just welcome everyone and uh, welcome and congratulate Olivia for uh, awesome accomplishments. <laughs> um, so maybe we can just kind of talk about the process, like how the usual question, but did you already know the book or how did you get involved and How'd you get drawn in? Yeah, I had heard of the book, and it was um, it was one of those uh, funny stories where I'd, I'd heard De- Delia interviewed about the book, and at the end of the interview, they mentioned that Reese had picked it up for her book club and that they were adapting it into a film, and I just thought, I'm not going to read that book because I'm just going to be so heartbroken that I don't get to direct it. You know, it's like, you know, another... Because often when I read books, I'm thinking about, could I option this, could I, you know, adopt it? Um, And then it was during the um, beginning of the pandemic that my agents um, told me that they were looking for a director for this movie adaptation of Where the Crawdads Sing and had I read the book. And I said no, but (laughs) I know I'm going to love it. Tonight? Yes. (laughs) And I read it in two days, and then I read Lucy's script and just said, I have to direct this. And you read the script? Yeah. And I had read the script, yeah. Um, and I think I was finishing up another project at the time, and I knew I had to set it aside for two weeks to put together my pitch. If I was going to get this job, I had to put everything into the pitch. Um, so I just started preparing. You know, they, my agent said to me, if you want to get this, you're going to have to knock it out of the park to go from an independent first feature to something that's this big of an IP you really have to kill it with the pitch, which was, I almost said, never mind, because I just thought that sounds impossible. But um, so then I just spent a couple of weeks putting together the pitch, and um, it uh, miraculously was kind of what they were looking for. So. Now, maybe we better hear about the details of this. Did you do? <laughs> that sounds pretty great. Did, did you do some, a bunch of visuals or music or how yeah, did you? Yeah, I put together um, a visual pitch deck and I also just talked about my own personal connection to the material. 
Um, it's funny because almost every project I've gotten starts with a story about my father. So I credit him for every job I get is because there's something connected to my dad. He was a hunter and um, told these great stories. Every time he went hunting, he would come back and sort of regale us with stories about the woods and being out there in nature and um, just made it feel so magical. And I had that feeling reading the book of sort of being back at the dinner table with my dad hearing those stories. And um, so it really tapped into something you know, in my childhood. And um, so anyway, I talked about my personal connection to the material, and I had some thoughts about how to restructure the story to make it the movie version um, in the, the biggest change structurally between um, the book and the movie is in the book, you're sort of following this murder mystery while you're learning about um, this young woman growing up alone in the marsh, and you don't understand how it's connected to her until the very end and the trial, her arrest and the trial happens at the very end of the book. And so the, you know, the last couple of chapters, you're in this courtroom. And my feeling was I didn't want to be with anyone else in the mm-hmm. story. I wanted to be with Kaya as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I thought if we, if we arrest her from the beginning and we put her on trial from the beginning, then when we're in the present, we're following her story, mm-hmm. um, whether we're in the present with her in the courtroom or whether, whether we're in um, flashbacks to her in the past. So I came in with that suggestion and that idea, which I think they were excited about. Um, and then that's like, kind of a yeah. risk, isn't it? Like you know, they have a, they had a screenplay already, yeah. And then you're you're worrying like if I say too much, like I want to change everything, they might not want to hire me. Well, let's hire somebody that's not going to put us in a long development deal. Yeah. But then if you don't say anything yeah. visionary, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how did you decide to say it, or did did you? you know, tiptoe in or? I I didn't. I had a graph, actually. (laughs) And at the first meeting, they said, I think we can simplify this graph for your next meeting. You know, we had to go through many meetings. They were all very excited about it, but they said, maybe for the next, you know, for Elizabeth Gabler, let's just simplify this. But it was sort of a graph to show how... um, how to inter- how to interweave them, and Lucy's script was beautiful. It was it was such a beautiful um, lyrical adaptation of the book. She really captured Delia's voice, which I think, for a book adaptation, it's always a little scary. Are you going to be able to capture that lyricism of a novel in a screenplay? And she was so able to do that. And you know, it was a beautiful script. And so what I was coming in with was a suggestion for just how to, you know, restructure it, not throw anything away but just kind of change the structure a little bit so it's cool and then what how much um voiceover was in her script or did that get added or how did that yeah there was always voiceover um and we always tried to draw from Delia's voice as much as possible for the voiceover we really wanted to have you know words directly from the book and that's lyricism in as much as we could infuse it into the voiceover Mm -hmm. but of course it evolved you know as we were shooting and as we were editing you know there's always you you sort of realize that there's places where you could use you know a transition and so it was a kind of an always evolving part of it very cool well let me ask you about the casting and the fan base for the book because there were a lot of people love this book so how much did you, I mean, I did the movie Twilight, so we had a big fan base. Yeah. And, you know, we we're like, sometimes you're checking online, you know, 
what scenes do people really love? I've got to be sure to do those scenes great, or they're going to kill me or burn off their <laughs> tattoos, you know, or whatever, uh, of Twilight or whatever it was. But, uh, and then also just when you announce, yeah, let's talk about that, uh, when you announce the cast. Mm-hmm. How did that work? Yeah, all of that's really scary. <laughs> Every time people would say, did you feel any pressure? It was like, Am I human? Of course. It was terrifying. Um, I can't tell you how many people would say, that was my favorite book, you know, last year. My mother-in-law loves that book. Everyone, mother-in-law loves this book. And I didn't want to disappoint any of them. Um, But yeah, casting, uh, finding the right Kaya was absolutely the first number one priority. And who would have thought it would be this British actress (laughs) that would... North Peace. Carolina. Yeah, yeah, it would just capture this North Carolina uh, girl from the swamps. But um, I had seen Daisy in Normal People, um, and Marion is also a very complicated character. Um, I remember feeling like she's there's aspects of Marion that are very unlikable, and yet I was so sympathetic with her. And I find Kaya is also, um, she walks this line mm-hmm. between... Um, somebody who is, you know, very shy and awkward and timid, but also has this incredible resilience and almost a feral, feral quality to her. Mm-hmm. She's not like l'enfant sauvage and yeah. completely wild because she has been raised by, you know, by a family and she did have that socialization. But then she spends so many years alone that she becomes a bit strange and awkward. And so finding an actress who, you know, could sort of capture all of those complexities was really important. And Daisy and I, we it was actually a very quick process. We sent her the book and the script, and she had 48 hours to prepare for the audition. She was up for another role. So it was very fast. And yeah. And we had an hour-long Zoom on a Saturday, and then we had an hour-long work session on a Sunday. And her audition was just incredible. She's just mesmerizing even over if you can be mesmerizing over zoom you know you're you've got something um so we were pretty certain that she would she would be able to really nail it now since she was already kind of very sought after after normal people she was willing to audition though because she was taken by and then when you did a work session over zoom did you do that with another actor or just you and her so she had another actor in a bathtub (laughs) off camera (laughs) they were in some room that had a bathtub in the room and he was sitting it was for her eyeline he had to sit in this bathtub so that her eyeline was good for the (laughs) the screen about the bathtub Uh, apparently this is a friend of hers that she has um who has read for her on many auditions and she thinks he's her lucky charm because every time he does the reading she gets the job Um, But, yeah, she had a friend in the room reading with her. And, you know, they would read the scene, and then I would give her some notes, and then she would do it again, and we would talk, and, you know, we would do each scene a few times and chat in between. So just to see, you know, how she took direction and if I could push her really far in one direction and get a different color and bring her back and just to sort of see how she responded. So, obviously, at the end of that, you felt very comfortable with her range and how you could dial her up. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, after that, you built the chemistry around her, I suppose. Yeah. Did she do chemistry reads with 
She did, yeah. Again, it was the pandemic, so everything was over Zoom, mm -hmm. um, which was not fun for chemistry reads. That's really challenging. Yeah. Um, but uh, she amazingly, the chemistry was very clear between her and Taylor and between um, her and Harris, um, which, again, if you're able to see that over Zoom, yeah. that's very telling. Um, but it was a long and arduous process, I think, just reading all of these men over Zooms and trying to find just the right different mm -hmm. um, energies between them because they're very different relationships. Yeah, did you, I know like on Twilight, we presented with Kristen like five different guys. That was in person. And so we worked with each of the five guys. Did you have like a group of choices one day, or how did that work? We just had narrowed it down to two, oh, two okay. for each role. Um, and she was, you know, Daisy is so lovely and didn't want to, you know, offend, offend anybody. <laughs> and, you know, but uh, I think she was very happy with the choices that we made. Did she make her choice known to you too? Or No, not before we oh. cast, but oh. afterwards she was expressed that oh, she was okay. she was really happy with the choices. Yeah. Uh, I remember, for example, on Twilight, Kristen Stewart called and said, I want Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she knew she wanted Robert. But I agree with her too. So, yeah. 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 I mean, we had really fantastic, I mean, we did a super thorough search. We worked with David Rubin. It's a fabulous casting director, and it was. We had so many wonderful guys, wow. you know, that that were up for it. So it was a really hard decision. Um, but it was as soon as we saw her read with Taylor and with Harris, it felt very, very clear to us. There wasn't a lot of arguments with the studio or anything mm. like that. We were all sort of could see it right away. So oh, wow. yeah. So you taped the Zoom <laughs> chemistry reads. And yes. Then they, the studio wasn't on it? No, on the then we then share it, yeah. Okay. Then we share it up yeah. the ladder, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. And then when they actually met in person, were you kind of nervous, like, are they going to look good together as one, two, time? <laughs> That's so interesting. I did not think about it um, because, I guess because we had so many conversations over Zoom and all sort of felt like I knew them already. And then they're all this, these lovely people. It's they're, mm. Each one of them is, you know, couldn't be nicer than the oh, next. And they're wow. also all just really in it for the work. You know, they were all so excited to be there and be part of it. I did have a little anxiety around Harris because he couldn't get there as early as Taylor. Daisy arrived six weeks before we started shooting. And Taylor, I think, was there about a month before. Wow. So they had time to hang out and get to know mm. each other. Oh, okay. But Harris got there very close to our start date, and I was very nervous about that. Um, but I sent them all off on a swamp tour together <laughs> and made them go and, and, and hang out. And they're all the same age, and um, they just the three of them were just like pals right away. Oh, so wow. that was, yeah, that was definitely a relief. And so how much, so Daisy came six weeks. That sounds amazing. Yes. And, and um, Taylor, four weeks out. So were they rehearsing? Were they? Yeah. Doing, what were you guys doing? Yeah. Then? So the reason we wanted Daisy there early was she needed to learn how to ride a boat. Um, we had a movement coach to work with her to kind of um, 
get her physicality uh, to sort of feel comfortable walking around the marsh in bare feet. And mm, okay. she's a very small person. She wanted to build her upper body strength because she, you know, thought Kaya's digging for muscles and she's oh, carrying okay. these heavy pails and she wanted to feel, you know, have that same um, strength. Um, accent. Accent. She's amazing. Daisy is amazing with accents. Um, but we had our dialect coach working with her even before she arrived. Um, and then we did rehearsals, um, both, you know, with me and the actors and then also with our movement coach to kind of get, um, to get that, all that specific energy between them. So she did walk around barefoot. She didn't put a little small skin on the bottom. <laughs> yes. Well, the first day, well, the first, our first day of shooting was um, the scene where she and Tate meet as teenagers at the feather stump tree, and she was barefoot the whole day. Um, and by the end of the day, her feet were all cut up. <laughs> and I was really, really worried about it, but I knew it was important to her. Um, and so after that, we were a, a bit more careful with her feet and. We had sort of decided in our timeline at what point she might have sneakers from Mabel um, and where she might wear them. And, you know, as a teenager, she's barefoot a lot more than she is when she's in her early 20s. And then there were certain scenes where we thought, okay, well, for this, she might have, she might put on that old pair of sneakers. Even though she's comfortable walking around barefoot, she might throw them on um, because she knows now she has a better sense of. She should fit in a little yeah. bit better. Yeah. Don't freak people out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and so her wardrobe, I, I would just, I guess you guys kind of developed that together in a way. Or? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, my costume designer, Mirren um, Gordon Crozier, had this incredible um, lookbook from the beginning um, where she really wanted to incorporate, um, you know, elements of the marsh into Kaya's wardrobe. And she thought about what kinds of what period of clothing she would get as hand-me-downs from Mabel, mm -hmm. what dresses would have been left from her mother who came from some money from the 30s. Mm -hmm. And so incorporating really different um, time periods into her wardrobe that, again, you could imagine came as hand-me-downs and that she took very good care of. Um, and then how she, you know, reimagined the clothing. So she might cut the skirt off of a dress that became too mm -hmm. small. And so oh. then it's, you know, it was just the top oh. of a dress and... Um, she had this, um, so it was a, a lot of conversation around what, what is the history behind the clothing and mm. where would she have gotten it from? And then, you know, what color palette we wanted for Kaya was really to make her feel much more connected to the marsh. So colors that sort of lent themselves to, mm. um, to the marshlands and the beach and oh, as yeah. opposed to the, you know, colors of the fifties and sixties that were much kind of brighter reds yeah. and yellows and primary colors that really pop. I thought it looked beautiful. She looked beautiful, and you did a great job. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Now, what about, um, let's talk about shooting. Ah. Or like, you know, did they give you enough days, or did you have to negotiate that, or how, how did it work? What were your most nervous, you know, what were you worried about shooting? Um, I think my line producer is here, so she can attest to uh -oh. how incredibly... Are you here, a line producer? <laughs> Betsy, are you here? Yes, there you are. Did you give her enough days? <laughs> <laughs> There's never enough days, yeah. How many days was it? What did we have in the end, like 46 days? That's pretty healthy. It's, it was healthy. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I it think some healthy. other directors like myself would be about to kill you having that many days. Uh, okay, but yeah. great. It's well, good. when I first got told 44 <laughs> days, I remember because my first movie I shot in 22 days. And um, when I heard 44 days, I thought, I'm going to do so the last 20 time. days. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. I'm finally going to have time. And my uh, director of photography was like, this is not enough time. Are you kidding? This is not enough time. And then I slowly realized that shooting on boats, you know, and shooting in, in, water. Um, in water and shooting in a place where it rains all the time and you're constantly stopped because of lightning strikes and floods. And, you know, we would, where we built Kaya's house was on a lagoon where um, the water would rise over lunch. So we'd shoot half of a scene and we'd come back for lunch and our set was underwater. Um, you know, just all these sort wow. of unexpected things kept making the schedule more and more unmakeable. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um, how did you choose that beautiful, I mean, obviously drop-dead gorgeous location in Louisiana. Yeah. Where, how did you say, this is it, that's where I want to build the house? Yeah, well, for Kaya's house, we wanted it to feel as remote as possible mm -hmm. and then at the same time be production-friendly. Yeah. So um, our production designer, Sue Chan, went down uh, a week before I arrived and was started scouting with our um, location manager. And we, we found some spots that were, you know, exactly how I imagine it from the book, super remote and impossible to shoot, impossible to get yeah, trucks to there. Yeah. yeah. And then she showed me this spot at Fairview State Park, which if you looked one way into the lagoon, it looked, you know, it's that gorgeous lagoon with Spanish moss dripping from the trees and you know it's exactly how you imagine Kaya's mm -hmm. lagoon but if you turned and looked the other way it was wide open there were these big tall live oaks but there was a mansion the Otis mansion right there <laughs> and then a big open grassy field and I and and to the left was these woods so I said how are we going to make this feel remote it's so open and Sue said we're going to bring in the trees we're going to build her house right under this live oak and we'll fill in with green and I said what about the path that Ma walks down we need that image of this path that she leaves on and she said we'll put greens and we'll just put it under the the branches oh, wow. we'll use the sort of you know low-hanging branches to create that arc um and so it was, and then she had a drawing done up so we could see what she was imagining because I was terrified. <laughs> um, and really right up until production, I was just like holding my breath that it was going to work. Are going to look one direction? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And still when I look at the movie, I cannot believe how she made it so incredibly she did a great job. I mean, yeah. it looked amazing, didn't it? You would never know the there's a mansion no. in the back. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's but it was great because then we had we were off Production of a road just, yeah. so we could have all of our trucks there. And um, it was really important that our, we build the house on location so that we could shoot indoors and outdoors yes. and Kaya could move freely between exterior and interior and we could bring the marsh into her house and always see it out the windows. I thought that, that was, was just fantastic and we really felt it watching the movie. Yeah. Good, good. Glad. Thank you for letting her do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, well, um, that sounds pretty scary with the tides and the <laughs> floods and everything yeah. where you just like every day like you gotta get the. It was yeah. Well, it was interesting because that spot where we built the house, it was this beautiful grassy spot right up to the lagoon, but there was such so much rain in the month of May. We chose to shoot in May and June because May was supposed to be a drier month. 
in New Orleans. And then we had planned to do most of our exteriors in May. And then during June, when it was going to be scorching hot and rainy, we would move inside. Oh, okay. But we had an unprecedented amount of rain that year that was broke all these records. <laughs> and so we kept having to pull scenes, interior scenes up. And at one point it rained so much that the house was surrounded by water. We couldn't even access her house because it was just like a lake around it. Um, <laughs> so that was the, the only time The only time we had to shut down was because of flooding. Um, we never shut, shut down because of COVID, but we did get shut down because all of our sets were flooded and we had used up all of our interior <laughs> cover sets. <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah, well, we had the same thing, you know, in Twilight. It couldn't be uh, sunny, so we went to the cloudiest place, and that year was unprecedented <gasps> sunshine. <laughs> Yay. So, it's always like that. It, you it know, is. You plan it the best you possibly can, but yeah. Mother Nature does her own thing. That's it. Uh, oh, my God. Wow. Okay. I remember this stretch of rain where it just rained and rained and rained, and we kept shooting, you know, all the stuff that we could inside, and then... It finally stopped raining, and they said, okay, well, let's go back to Kaya's house. No, it's surrounded by a lake. Let's go to Jumpin's. No, it's completely underwater. Let's go on to our boats. We have all this boat work to do. You couldn't launch the boats because all the docks were underwater. And so we had these five beautiful sunny days. I mean, it was gorgeous, and we couldn't shoot anywhere. And it felt like Mother Nature just laughing at us. <laughs> I'm going to give you the, the weather you've been waiting for, and you will have nowhere to go to shoot it. Oh, my God. Cruel. Okay, I'm having PTSD <laughs> right now. Um, now, let me ask about casting the younger and the older versions of her. Yeah. Did the younger versions and the older versions try to mind meld in rehearsal and get her movements down? Or Yeah, did they that? did do a little bit of rehearsal together. We spent some time, uh, Jojo Regina is the young actress, um, and they did spend some time together. And it was interesting because the way the schedule worked out, because we could only work JoJo for half of a day, we would shoot the young Kaya stuff, you know, for the first half of the day. And then we would move into the teenage Kaya. So we were sort of able to actually shoot in chronological order. We also, the house changes over, I think, three or four right, times right. during each period of her life. And so we had to be very um, precise about we're going to shoot the early childhood stuff inside the house, and then the teenage Kaya stuff exteriors and the same day. Have time to be yeah. yeah, but it allowed them to sort of then watch each other um, when they yeah, weren't working. They could come and sort of see. Oh. I know for Daisy, it was very helpful for her to observe Jojo, and she had you know a few little ticks in the way that she ran, and she had this uh, she had allergies, and so she would do this <laughs> thing with her nose that Daisy loved, and that you know tucked behind the ear. They they both did, so they were able to kind of draw from each other. Now, exactly what you're saying is one of the director's skills or challenges is juggling the creative and the vision with the logistics. And the fact that you went into your first meeting with a graph <laughs> means that I believe it sounds like you're good at juggling both, right brain, left brain, right brain, left brain, and yeah. having to be able to switch out, okay, we'll go do that outside this one. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you, do you appreciate that quality about yourself? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't enjoy it, but I think um, I think it's it's part of directing, right? You just have to be able to pivot and be prepared to, you know, throw, you know, come. I, I try to come as prepared as I can to set, and then be completely ready to throw it out if something else 
comes along or the better idea comes comes up. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think that's, you know, mm. being willing to deal with the unknown. I know it makes my husband, who's here, very uncomfortable. And it's something I love. I love an adventure. I love <laughs> not knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> so wow. maybe it plays into that. Now, um, I know we have to wrap it up, but um, the studio, in the final process in editing, did you do test screenings with fan-based audiences? Did you have any differences with the studio, or how did you solve those? Is the studio here? Hello? I don't okay. know if the studio's here. The, I mean, post-process, I would say, was actually very, it was really lovely. It was one of the la less stressful um, parts of of the whole process. Um, wow. We did do a few test screenings um, in Denver and Dallas, I believe. Um, and at every test screening, we would ask, you know, if they, if they were familiar with the book or not. Mm -hmm. So there were always people who had read the book, and then there were a lot of people who hadn't. Yeah, um, there was a lot of conversation about the ending. Um, <laughs> it was, I, I will say, it was always, there was a moment when there was a conversation around whether Ma should reappear. And for me, the childhood trauma of her mother leaving is the thing that, when I read the book, was such a punch in the gut. Mm. And it was, it was the trauma that Kaya carries with her her whole life. And so it was very important to me that it be resolved she um, sees her when she sees her. her to the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, at one point that was about to get put on the butcher's block. And I said, can we just test it before you make me do this? Can we just test it with an audience? And we did. And the audience you know, it, it was, of course, one of the most moving moments of the movie that people would mention. So I was so relieved wow. <laughs> I was able to save it. Yay, audience. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did they, so they just tested your way first and then? Yes. So that, that first test screening, which was my test screening, um, answered a lot of those questions. And then we did some reshoots um, and, uh, two days of pickups, and then we tested it again, and that was it, just two screenings. And so, oh, great. Yeah. What, um, now, was that in the book? Yes, it it's was. in the book, okay. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so then that would always be one of my arguments. I'd be like, hey, man, we can't disappoint the fans of the book. <laughs> yes. This is our core audience. Yes. It's in the book. Yes. And then if I didn't want it and it was in the book, oh, they don't really mention that. That's not their favorite part. <laughs> can always kind of steer it the way you need it to yeah. go. <laughs> and yeah, I have all the evidence like, hey. Yeah, no, it's so true. And there were, you know, there were conversations around the ending and making it slightly clearer than it is in the book. And I thought that what is so beautiful about the book is that Kaya remains somewhat mysterious. How she did it is... There but is a mystery around it. You that's know. what's brilliant. It's kind of explained by the prosecution. So yes. you're like, wow, right. she really did that. Right. And then you can just put it together. You know, your mind puts it all together and all that crazy shit. They said yeah. she did it. <laughs> right. And I, I'm on, like wondering, what was her disguise? I want to see it. Yes. <laughs> and there are always, you know, it's funny in the test screenings, there are always like, you know, one or two people that would say, I wish that you had a scene where you showed us exactly how you did it. <laughs> say, yes, we want you to wish that we had showed you how she did it because yeah. we all wish we could see it. Um, but 
So that, you know, that was a momentary conversation. But well, that made it a lot of fun for me, I guess, for you guys, too, because you can only you can imagine it. It was really yeah. cool. And I know we're supposed to say good night to everybody now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, this thank was such you, a delight. And what a beautiful job, I think. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you for coming on a Sunday night. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 